Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining Law Matters this morning. Our guest today is FBI Supervisory Special Agent in Charge, Mary Gleason. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. And we have also Public Affairs Officer Kevin Smith. Good morning, Sherry. How you doing? All well, of, all... I just couldn't be better on a fine Saturday morning. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Oh, great. I, I was surprised when I told people what the topic today was going to be. How many people said, what's that? So we're going to be talking about sextortion. And can you give us a definition of sextortion? Sure. Um, the, in the simplest terms, sextortion is a criminal act which involves um, generally adults that through social media coerce minors into creating and sending sexually explicit images or video for a variety of reasons. They, you know, either collect them um, and then once they have them, they will extort the minor um, either asking for more videos by threatening to do harm to their families or actually asking for money. And if they don't pay the money, they will then, they threaten to send the photos to their friends and family. How does a, how does a teenager, a child, find themselves in a situation like this? Is it through so, gaming? Um, that's one way. Um, and a lot of teens these days spend time on TikTok or Snapchat watching videos and they click like, and the next thing you know, somebody who runs that, you know, application that they click the like on will reach out to them and they start this conversation and they think that they're having a conversation with somebody their own age, possibly the same gender, sometimes the different gender. And, you know, they think it's a real relationship. And so, you know, as it develops, because, you know, sometimes it takes time, sometimes it's rather quick. Um, and so, it, you know, it either happens on those and sometimes they switch to other platforms. Um, but it, the gaming one is another easy one because there's a shared interest because they're both playing that same video game. Um, usually there is uh, a chat feature in the video game. A lot of kids use one called Discord. And they move off that social media to another platform where the images and videos can be set. You said they move to another platform. Does that mean they're invited to go to a different website, maybe? I don't, I don't know what that means. Yeah, so it's another application. So a way to chat, such as Kick, um, Signal. There's like several that, you know, if you have ever used Snapchat, and I didn't know this. My nieces and nephew taught me this one, that if you, you know, you try to capture a photo because you like it, you know, not a bad photo, but you, uh, through your phone, you take a photograph of it. If you do that on Snapchat, the user is notified. So that's why they will move from a platform that has, you know, notifications in it to one that doesn't like a kick. Oh, so you can't trace who's who's requesting well, you don't know that they're taking the photograph. Oh. So you are at a point where you feel comfortable because of the conversation and the way the chat is going, and you send this photo. Um, and what kids don't really realize is that, you know, anything on the Internet or sent in an application, you know, even on your phone, it's out there forever, and yeah. there's always a risk. I've, I was told when I... I suggested, well, set the security platform so students or kids, young ones, can only go to certain places. And I was told that that could be overridden by probably a six-year-old. Is that true? Well, unfortunately, I think the youth of today are a lot um, more technologically savvy than most of us adults. Um, again, I have conversations with my nieces to kind of know, hey, what is the latest platform that kids are on um, because it changes and it's really hard to stay up with technology. Um, I do think it's extremely important that parents have parental control in their, you know, internet services. So um, one of our agents um, who actually investigates a lot of these cases, she has teenage children and if they try to download an application on any of their devices, she gets 
notified, and she has to approve it. Um, so why that's important is we actually had one case where a young girl was on Instagram, and her mom was adamant. She doesn't have an Instagram account. I check her phone every night when she gets home from school. Well, when we talked to the young woman, it turned out every day that she left for school, she downloaded the app, she had her conversations on Instagram, and then before she got home, she deleted the app. So just looking at the phone isn't really indicative of what's on that phone. So how do parents, that's pretty sneaky, how do parents, how do you, if you're just looking at the phone, the app's got to be on there somewhere, right? I mean, a history of the app, how do they find the history of what's been happening instead of just looking at the phone and seeing there's no app there? Correct. And again, I'm not one of the cyber experts, but the way that, you know, we understand it is that um, if a parent goes into the history of their, you know, if it's all on a shared account, they can see what apps have been downloaded and when, or even like how much uh, content might be in it. So the size of it, and a lot of parents, you know, they look at it set on their phones. I mean, we're all guilty of it, and they don't take the time to actually go into, you know, the Internet provider services just to kind of see, you know, we all should do that at least, you know, every couple of months, just like safeguarding our passwords. We kind of have to go in and do some cleanup and just make sure there aren't new security things that they can put in place. Um, You know, there's also parents that, set a time limit so that at 10 p.m., you know, nobody can go on the Internet. Well, there are kids smart enough that know how to turn that off so that they can still be on. So it's, was there any activity after 10 p.m.? Ooh, wow. Yeah. And if if you look at your bill, your your provider's bills, doesn't that tell you when activity happened? Like what phone numbers are being called? It can, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, so many bills are electronic these days that, you know, I know I'm guilty of it, that I just pay them. I don't really look at the detail on them. Yeah, me too, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) So when somebody is talked into or finds themselves kind of trapped into the situation where somebody's asking them for nude photos or threatening them they're going to do whatever if they don't get it. What are some of the situations you've heard of? Um, There are so many different scenarios and, you know, each one of them, you know, breaks my heart because, you know, these kids think that they've done something wrong. They don't realize that, you know, the adult on the other end, you know, that they think is a kid, they're the ones who are doing something wrong. Um, you know, some I know that there are long-term ones. Generally, the tips that we have been receiving are the, I started this conversation, it's been, you know, a couple weeks, I sent a photo, and now they are threatening me. And, you know, the good news is that we are getting these complaints. You know, kids are telling an adult. But the problem is, I mean, those are the ones that are telling us. What are, what about the kids that don't feel comfortable going to an adult and telling them, you know, because it's really embarrassing for a lot of them. It's not um, only embarrassing, but, you know, you, you can kind of anticipate how is your parent going to react to this type of news? And if the exactly. parent gets excited and, you know, loud and, and not quiet and understanding, you know, that's going to shut them down. Exactly. And so one of the first things that I do when, you know, I reach out to them once we receive the complaint is, you know, I applaud the parent and say, you know, how lucky are you that you have a relationship with your, you know, son, daughter, that they felt comfortable enough to come to you. I've also spoken with aunts, um, you know, because there was one young man who, you know, was questioning his sexuality. His parents didn't know, but his aunt knew. And I said, he's, you know, lucky to have you in his life. Exactly. And, you know, just encourage the parents to be supportive. Um, you know, there is a, you know, darker side on this, too, where, you know, because the kids, they take this the threat as real. And I'm not saying it's not real, but, you know, the reality is when they ask for the money, um, if you send it, they're still going to ask for more money. Mm-hmm. It's, 
a scam. And whether or not they, I can't say they're never going to send the videos because we know that they have sent videos and photos. But each of these um, criminals, if you will, you know, they're different. And some of them won't cross that line. They're never going to send it out. And that threat is so real that um, several of these youth have become suicidal. Mm-hmm. One dad told me that his son had called, you know, a suicide hotline twice. And, you know, what could he do? So we offer them uh, victim services. Through the, You have victim services through the FBI? We do. I did um, not know that. Our offices have several um, victim specialists, and they participate in all of our investigations. Um, generally, we you know notify them every time we open a case that has a potential victim, and it's either you know a case like this, you know, or even you know a fraud case. Those are going to have victims, and so they are kept extremely busy. Um, local police departments have them as well, and we tend to work together on a lot of investigations, and so our victim specialists will work together as well. Does a teenager, somebody who's underage, have to have their parents' permission to call the FBI? They do not. The, you know, problem sometimes that we come into is, like, the age of the youth when we call them back. Um, Generally, the youth that call are, I've seen the youngest about 14, where I think they understand and perhaps know what the FBI is. Um, other kids might not. Um, and they not only call the FBI, there's also, because I think schools are putting it out there, the um, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Right. Um, they can call there, and they have uh, counselors that will talk with kids 24 hours a day. Oh, wow. That's, that's something. I didn't know that either. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. If a, if a young person, and I have to tell you this, we, we did a, a presentation a few months back on uh, sex trafficking, and one of the kids that was interviewed, the question was, what, do, what is going on that your parents and your teachers don't know? And her response was, her friend's boyfriend told her that if she didn't send a naked picture of her to him, he was going to post a naked picture of the girlfriend online and you know if you want to stop that you'll send me a picture of you naked <laughs> I, so I guess one of my first questions would be is this a boyfriend that she's actually met in person because you know another and again i haven't necessarily seen it directly here in arizona but i have heard of cases where um they don't just uh, extort the you know individual that they're talking to they get that person to um, get their friends involved and take sexually explicit photos with friends, with animals. I mean, it, it can get pretty dark. And um, so, so we have seen that. But, you know, I think it goes back to what I said earlier that, you know, kids need to understand that even when you are in a real relationship, sharing those photos, once it's out there, it's out there forever. And if that relationship sours, you never know what that person is going to do with those photos. Oh, absolutely. Down the road, you know, you're applying for a job and they're doing uh, some research on you and they found find this. That's not a good thing. <laughs> or you're going yeah. into the military. That's not a good thing. So yeah. other than what happens if you find the person who's exploiting these kids, what happens to them when they get arrested? Do they... What happens in the process of the judicial system? So the good news is that um, because of the explicit material, the sentences they receive are significant um, years. There, I was recently looking at some of the statistics, and, you know, if they're caught, I mean, that's the biggest thing. Sometimes it's very hard for us to find them um, because they are so technologically savvy or they're in another country, and we don't necessarily have access. Um, but, the, you know, there was one out of Florida that I think it was uh, 16 years. Uh, I do believe, and I don't know, Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they also get put on um, the sex offender registry. Yeah. And they have they to register usually, sex offenders. Yeah, and then they usually have, um, it's a lifetime of probation 
So it's not as if, you know, they do their time and they get out. Um, and at the FBI, if we work these cases, we also do our best to notify the victims. So my squad will receive leads from other offices. And it's really, it's hard because sometimes, you know, the uh, crime might have occurred two years ago when they were 16. They're now 18 and an agent is coming out to talk to them and they don't want to talk at their house because their parents are there and they never told their parents and they don't want to talk about it. They're fine. Um, you know, we offer them the services, but it's just, again, so sad that, you know, this is the first time we're reaching out to them because of a subject that has been arrested and they never came forward. And, you know, I just hope that they got the help they needed in that, you know, one year, two years, whatever it is before we knocked on their door. That's a heavy burden to be walking around with knowing that something like this happened and you don't know when it's going to rear its ugly head in the future. So, yes. yeah, that's... How long have you been working in, in this particular field with sextortion and sex crimes? Um, actually, I'm fairly new to it, so I've only been doing it for the past couple of years since I moved out to Arizona. So how long have you been with the FBI? I think I am coming up on my 16-year anniversary at the end of the month. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Is Paisley still up there? Paisley is still up there. Love that dog. <laughs> yeah. For those listeners that don't know, Paisley is our victim services dog, and she comes out um, with us on search warrants to, you know, accept pets and uh, donuts from the search teams when they need it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's great to have a dog like that who's just so chill. This dog is just so kicked back. So what do parents... Yes, we are very lucky. Yeah, so what do parents do um, if they find out that their child is, has got an issue like this and, and they might just only know a fraction of what's going on? What do they do to help their child and how do they report it to local or do they call the FBI? So I think it's important that, you know, even if they don't know about it yet, parents need to start having conversations with their kids. Um, once they find it, you know, the, you know, the child may or may not feel comfortable telling exactly what it is. So, yes, the local police as well as the FBI are handling these issues. Um, a local police department called me actually last night because, they have this case and they don't deal with these very often. And so they were asking me, you know, how, how do we handle it? What can we say? What can we do? And at the end of it, he said, um, can you just call them back? And, uh, you know, my agent told me, you're too nice. You're calling them back. But this is such an important issue that, you know, we all have to help each other out. Um, you know, when I talk to the parents, I also offer to have um, any of my agents come out and give presentations to, you know, freshman orientations or, you know, middle school classes on, it's not just extortion, it's um, cybersecurity and how to protect themselves online. And, you know, unfortunately, not as many schools take us up on this opportunity. Um, I don't know if it's the topic that kind of turns them off, but we... We don't, you know, it's not all about sex, sex, sex um, or photos, but, you know, we tr again, the cybersecurity piece is what we lean on. And, you know, that's why we're, you know, kind of focusing on getting the message out this next week uh, because it is so important. And maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, they'll start asking us to uh, come out and do some of these presentations. Yeah, you want to be proactive when it's a situation like this. You, you, People say, oh, my, my child would never do that. Well, surprise. <laughs> you know, your child's probably doing that and you don't know about it. And how do, how do you, if a, you've got a parent who says, oh, my child would never do that. And I, I've had people say that, you know, kid, my kids live at home, they couldn't be sex trafficked or... My my son doesn't use drugs. He just sells them. Like, that makes it better. Um, right. 
how, how do you convince parents that they need to be proactive, whether they believe their child's doing it or not, for the future? Because it's happening. I think that, you know, any of us can fall victim. I mean, look at how many of the elderly fall for these, you know, financial scams. It's the same concept. Mm -hmm. You know, the criminals are predators that, you know, prey on our vulnerabilities. And, you know, we're all going to react differently. Um, There was one um, instance where these young boys were chatting with somebody on Discord and the gentleman, and they thought it was a kid, but, you know, then all of a sudden the way the conversation was, they're like, this has to be an adult. And they went and told a mom. And she was actually able to figure out uh, where he was you know, he wasn't very savvy through social media. She found him on Facebook, and he was actually overseas. She called the local authorities there, and he was arrested. Good for her. And, you know, well, yeah, and great for those kids because they, you know, they recognized it, that, you know, this isn't right. So, you know, that's a parent who probably was having that conversation, but, Look at how quickly it happened. I mean, they were just chatting on a video game. Um, a lot of kids feel sorry. like because they're talking to people online and they might be talking to them for a few weeks or months that they know that person. That's not a stranger. That's yes. somebody that I have a relationship with and it's okay. How do you get across to them that, no, it's not okay. You really don't know that person. What, what conversation do you have with them when they're arguing with you that, no, I do know that? Yeah, them. so that, that gets difficult because, you know, you can go back to the old, you know, stranger danger, but, you know, two months of chatting, they're not necessarily a stranger, but you've never met them. So it's, you know, kind of a gray area, and parents have a hard time talking to the kids about it because the parents themselves have never experienced this. You know, not to date myself, but um, email came out while I was in college. And, you know, I remember we would go to the computer lab and we'd all be there at the same time emailing each other. So there was no instant messaging or texting. So it's, you know, hard to completely understand how kids are using that social media. Yeah, it's, they're very creative, too. Very creative. And it's it's hard, it's hard to understand what you don't know. And you know myself, if I'm so glad my child has grown, <laughs> because I wouldn't want to be dealing with this. It's hard to understand what you don't know. And I keep telling people you need to listen to the show because you don't know what you don't know until you listen to the show. And what really makes this um, sextortion FBI territory? So, honestly, it's the uh, production of, we call them um, child sex, uh, sexual abuse material. They got away from child pornography. And, you know, the children should not, again, feel like they did anything wrong because they've been coerced or enticed by the individual on the other end to create and send these images. And so, federally, what we investigate is the production and distribution of uh, CSAM, the child sexual abuse material. And so that's why we get involved. We also get involved because the victims are throughout the country. And so, you know, our offices do a great job of, you know, working together, sending leads if we identify victims. Um, there are often instances where uh, the images get shared on other platforms, and we try to identify those through the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. That's our, um, I, I'm going to use the word clearinghouse for a better word, that um, these photos are assigned a, I always get the word wrong because, again, I'm not a real cyber person, but it's a hash value. And so it's known, and if we identify the victim, 
you know, we can identify the series of photos that are attributed to them. And so I think NCMEC's goal is to try and get some of those photos removed from the Internet. Um, unfortunately, it's also done on the dark web. But, you know, so that's why we're involved, because of the, you know, cross-state, um, the production piece of it, and the distribution piece. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be back in a few. Stay with us. Thank you for staying with us. Our guests today are FBI Supervisory Special Agent in Charge, Mary Gleason, and Public Affairs Officer, Kevin Smith. And we haven't heard from Kevin too much, but we will in a little while. We've, we've got special <laughs> questions for him. So how does the situation like this develop? If, if somebody is like this young lady who said her friend's boyfriend, who apparently... She knew him. She saw him. He was physically there. It wasn't somebody online. Okay. So this is happening in a, in a school. Kids are threatening and bullying each other to produce naked photos of themselves. Everybody's doing it. It's no big thing. Um, what do you say to these people? And can they be arrested? Can the boyfriend be arrested? So that's a, a tougher situation um, for law enforcement throughout the country because, you know, the way a prosecutor looks at the case is, you know, the consent piece and the ages. You know, if it's a you know 16-year-old boy and 12-year-old girls, like they kind of sometimes they do more than two years, like a gap. Yes, they are going to possibly charge that individual. But... You know, when they're both 16, it makes it extremely difficult for law enforcement. And um, my task force sergeant, he, you know, said that he'll go out to the houses and it really is an educational discussion that he has with the kids. Again, that once an image is out there, even if it's somebody you know, it's out there forever um, because, you know, it's, Again, because it's consensual and they're sending it to each other, it's definitely something difficult for a prosecutor to work with. So it's for charges to be brought, um, it's not as easy. Now, the bullying, you know, with the friend, you know, obviously every situation is different. Um, so we'd have to know the details. And if she had a picture of her friend, how did she get it? Did she ask for it? A friend, friend sent it. Um, but it, it's, it's really not the greatest situation for law enforcement. No, because it's hard to prosecute that situation and the damage is already done. So, you know, you're living with something that you didn't really intend. What if photos are taken of somebody and they don't know they're being photographed and then they're being put online? Is that sextortion? Um, well, that is production. Um, so it, the sextortion piece comes in when they um, ask for money or threaten them okay. to not release the photos elsewhere. So once the photos are put out on the Internet, that is, you know, production. And so those individuals could be charged. Is that a, a more um, a more violent crime or a, a worse crime? Um, yes, the sentences for those are more significant. And actually, here in the state of Arizona, the sentencing at the state level, it sometimes is higher than the federal level. So if we ha find, come across a case where, you know, they've only produced one or two images, we, the FBI, will do the workup, but then we'll pass it to our state partners to actually charge it because we want those more significant sentences. Okay. And then we will focus on the more egregious cases so federal law is is federal law mirrored in state law when you you said you give it to your local partners are they going to get uh, 
the same type of a sentence locally as they would federally? Well, here in Arizona, they get more significant, they get more time at the state level. Because they just passed a law that just went into effect. Or did it? Is it do they wait until when? Uh, I'm not sure of a recent law. Um, again, I've only been here for a couple of years, uh, but it's been since I've been here. Okay. And yeah. yeah, I think Arizona is, is like in the forefront of going after people like this as far as yeah, our law is concerned. When I talk to headquarters, they because uh, we all have to report back our statistics to our headquarters in Washington, D.C., and they are always floored at some of the state sentences that we get here in Arizona. But that's not necessarily, you know, true for other states. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I think every state should follow our lead and, you know, crack down on these people, these perverts. So, yeah. do you think this is an underreported crime? Yes, I definitely do. And uh, I don't know how we could capture those statistics. I was, you know, reading somewhere that, you know, several years ago, the FBI had 5,000 extortion tips and a couple of years ago it was 18,000 so it's definitely on the rise but if you know those are only the ones that are reported you know I'm sure that there are you know definitely double um, and probably even more um, you know and something that you know I don't know the statistics on but the majority of complaints we see are from young men but I know that it's happening to young women and so, I wait a know, minute. Young men are because you always, are reporting it. Wow. Okay. Versus, you know the young women, and so why aren't? I mean, I don't think it's happening. I mean, it could be happening to young men more than young women. I think it's happening to both. But you know, the reporting is more from young men that I've seen. Wow, that I would not have guessed that. I would I would have thought that females would be more like exploited than than young men, but they probably are, but they're not telling an adult. Yeah, is the situation yeah, is the situation that you asked earlier? You know about you know what can parents do? I mean, it is a real concern that you know kids are out of school for the summer, which means that a lot of these teenagers are home and they're unsupervised for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day. And, you know, that's why, again, it's important to have these conversations because what are they doing, you know, with that time? Yeah. And they, this can happen while you're playing a game, you're online, you know, doing whatever online and you think you're talking to another kid and it turns out to be, you know, some 30 year old living in his mother's basement. Uh, <laughs> You know, and kids should also make sure they have, you know, strong passwords. They should cover web cameras. You know, if it does. Hello? I think we lost her. Kevin, are you there? Nobody's there. See, this is what happens on live radio. Can you call him back? You don't have a number. Okay, well, when they figure out that they've been disconnected somehow, <laughs> you know, we will we will actually have them call back. If you have any questions for our guests, the number is 520-790-2040. And if you've been a victim of this, call in and tell us what's going on with your life and how you, you managed to, to uh, solve the situation because this is serious. It sounds like it's a little thing, but it isn't. It's a serious issue and... We need to take care of it. So, do we have people back? Sorry about that. Is it random people or is this Mary? This is Mary <laughs> and Kevin. How you doing? <laughs> we love our technology. These phones have been great. <laughs> we thought you got tired of us and hung up on us. Yeah, yeah. Well, them again. Click. <laughs> no, we were talking about what parents can do to you know protect their kids so if you know what can they do i mean how extensive can they get in this process of trying to keep their kids safe 
turn off the computers. Yeah. Don't, yeah, don't, don't give them a phone. Media. <laughs> I did see one mother who paid, I think paid the child, and I don't remember if it was a boy or a girl, $1,800 if they stayed off all social media until they were 18 years old. You know, not everybody can afford that, but, you know, the concept was good. Um, I know a lot of agents in our office, they say, I'm never giving my kid a cell phone. Um, but again, that's not realistic. You know, cell phones are also, you know, a safety tool for us. And, you know, it's an important for everybody to, you know, have access, but maybe not unlimited access. And yeah, you know, you know what? That's not making them streetwise because you want your kids not to be, be educated in school. You want them to be streetwise. And if they're not dealing with the everyday occurrences and knowing how to handle that until they're 18, all of a sudden there's a phone and you find <laughs> out, you know, they've, they've got issues now. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, I think, too, it's very important that if to drill into the into, into our, our kids, you know, think before you send something. I think, you know, a good tip that I have heard others use is, you know, if you've never met the person in person who you're communicating with, don't send anything. Don't send pictures. Don't send money because inevitably it's a scam. Yeah. And it's just not healthy to believe you have a healthy relationship just online. Uh, there's no such thing. And I always get eyes on the person you're talking to. And if they start making excuses about why they can't meet or something came up or I'm stuck in a foreign country, you need to send me a picture to help me get through my angst. You know, that's just, you got to really drill into your kids. If you don't know the person you're sending a picture to, just don't send it. If it's not your best friend down the street or someone like that, it's probably not a good thing to do. I, I don't think that's a tough message to get across. It's, what's tough is in this age that we are in with instant information and instant messaging and instant gratification, kids don't often think before they just fire off a picture, yeah. not knowing the consequences of that down the road. So if we can talk to kids and adults about just don't send anything to somebody you haven't seen in person. That's and don't send pictures of yourself to people you do know. Not, you know, that Correct. naked pictures. No, I'm sorry. That doesn't work. And, it, and one of the problems, too, is, um, you know, even if they say, oh, well, I sent it, but I didn't put my photo in it. Well, you have photos of your face, you know, on other sites the person can manipulate that photo to put your you know head on your body and you know then it's out there yeah. so that's you know another problem that we are dealing with and you know the extortion piece of that is that sometimes they will you know manipulate the photos into flyers with just the face saying you know if you see this person um you know they're wanted for you know some horrendous crime and you know they, you know, kill puppies, whatever they do. And it's just, it's, you know, again, it's any site. And this could happen even if it's, you know, not someone you know. So it's it's just a, a hard time for us, I guess, in society. And you just never know when you're going to become the next victim. Yeah, you don't know what people are going to do with your pictures. And I, I really don't like having my picture taken and putting it online. So, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> just because I'm not photogenic, but no, I yeah. hate seeing when my friends post pictures of their kids. And like, I'm I on just... vacation. I love that one. I'm on vacation. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. and your address is what? <laughs> exactly. So, so, um, and that's you know, Kevin kind of touched on it a little bit. You know, not even you know, if you need to meet them, well, you know, that kind of crosses a line into you know other things. My squad investigates and. You know, parents should look maybe at the kid's browser history. If they're looking up how much is a bus ticket to a different state, um, you know, we had the young woman in, you know, Sierra Vista, you know, who uh, was abducted last month or two months ago. And, you know, I'm not saying that it was in the, you know, history, but she had to get, you know, to North Carolina somehow. And that's where it's... Um, if, you know, parents are paying attention and it's, 
you know, it is, I guess, a job to be a parent. You know, I don't have kids, but I have nieces and nephews, and you have to be vigilant and looking at the browser history. What are they looking up? Um, And maybe not just the tickets, what about the content? Because some of these predators will say, I want you to do this, and it's a word the kid might not know. So then they're looking up that word and what it is, and then they are getting content that might be explicit. So if parents look at search histories, they will be enlightened. And what is what is that uh, dictionary, the urban dictionary? Is that what it's called? Yes. If you don't know what something means, your your child's using some kind of a phrase or acronym with their friends, look it up in the urban dictionary and you'll find out you'll be surprised. You'll find out <laughs> what yes. they're talking about. And it's it's important you know. to try to stay on top of it. Like I said, I'm glad I'm not a parent today. <laughs> it would be so rough. Yes. And uh, Kevin, do you have kids? Yes, I do. I got all, uh, luckily all uh, young adults now. So I'm, oh. I'm in, I'm in your boat. So you're safe. So you're uh, safe. Well, you, who knows? You know, it's probably, but yeah, it's, and I remember, you know, I don't want to date myself like, you know, McMary mentioned, but you know, I, in, in the early <laughs> days when my kids were in middle school and uh, junior high and high school, that's just kind of when cell phones were proliferating. Yeah. Uh, and every all of us were experimenting with how do we set the rules for how we use our phones. You know, one rule I had was if I'm if I call you, you have to answer it no matter what you're doing or where you are. That's kind of the price of freedom when it, you know when you're having your cell phone. So if you're my oldest son was 16, had his driver's license, so I call at like 7:30. Where what, where are you? Oh, I'm at Matt's house and we're playing video games. Okay, that's cool. But that was like one rule of, of us. And, you know, but it has progressed and changed even since then, where now you don't, I mean, calling, how many, how many people call each other anymore, even if yeah, everyone's text. texting or yeah. instant message or something like that. So even the initial use, the initial purpose of a cell phone is not used as much as the alternate uses are uh, now. That's not, I mean, they call them smartphones, but you know, I don't know if that's the right term or not. You want to put the location? One of my sergeants told me that, you know, this problem, it's not a new problem. It's a problem that's been complicated by technology. Mm-hmm. And the way he described it is that, you know, in his day, and uh, I think he is older than me, <laughs> he said, you know, you know, kids, you know, young teens would get curious and it's the, you know, you show me yours and I'll show you mine. And it's just, it's the same concept, but again, because of technology, it's always out there. Yeah, but when you were playing, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. They didn't have cameras. No, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't photographed and put online forever and ever. Should no parents put their? Um, there's a location thing on their telephones, shouldn't all parents make sure that location thing is activated on their kids' phones so yes. they can follow them? Yes. And if something... the kids are not able to turn it off. Right. Because I, we have a, like, on a, speaking of technology, we have in our neighborhood a young lady just turned 16 who's got a driver's license, and on her phone, there's an actual app that when she gets in the car, turns the ignition on, the phone basically renders itself inactive. That's and she, smart. And, and then it goes back on, of course, when she leaves the car. Now, could she override that? Probably. But she knows at this point that the ramifications of not doing that mean she doesn't get to drive the car. And yeah. so, you know, it, there's it's all for us of trust that we have to have is, you know, understandings that we have to have. And I, I think on the back on the sextortion thing, the point I really want to make is these kids are victims and they think they've done something wrong. And that's part of the reason they don't report is because they think they did something wrong. But I think Mary will attest to this too, that 
the vic- uh, they're the victim and the perpetrator is the person who um, got them to send a picture. And so that's one of the points we really want to get across is they need to understand that they're not the ones in trouble, that we're going after the person who made them do that, and that they need to work through that embarrassment, which we understand. They need to work through with the family and perhaps, you know, Mary's squad and victim specialists about how parents and kids can work together. And one of the things we really ask to do is don't start deleting a bunch of stuff because you think you're going to get in trouble because the stuff that you might be deleting is exactly the stuff that we need to evidence further an investigation. And that's an important note here is that, you know, if when we come to this point, keep the stuff, don't worry about it. We're not going to judge you. We're just, we need that for investigative uh, methods to, to going after these folks. So that's kind of another tip we want to get out there is if this happens, keep the, keep the uh, content and uh, we'll take it from there. Yeah, because people don't realize that if you're their victim, he's probably got a dozen or more victims elsewhere who have done the same thing. Oh, and- we had a case just in Minnesota, Sherry, um, that I just ran across uh, from the U.S. Attorney's Office up there is they just uh, sentenced a guy to many, many years in prison who had over 500 victims. Oh, my God. Busy person. So, I mean, Mary, would you agree that, you know, if, if the, some of these perpetrators, they have hundreds of victims, right? Yeah. And they, you know, some of them keep very good records of the exchanges. So when we actually, you know, execute that search warrant on the house, you know, and again, some of these victims haven't come forward, but we are able to try and figure out who they are and we will do our best to reach out to them and offer if they want to speak with somebody. Explain to to our listeners what the grooming process means because I think people don't realize how easily this is this is done. So the grooming aspect, um, you know, not only applies here in sextortion cases, but, you know, obviously I see it in human trafficking cases, um, several other violations that we work, but you know, they start out very, you know, innocent, like with a shared interest. So if they're meeting on a gaming system, they are talking about that game. And then the conversation moves to a different platform and the, you know, subject will start, you know, kind of testing the waters and start saying other things or they'll sit, the young man or woman will send a photo and they'll say, oh, you know, you're really attractive um, have you ever thought of this? I think the color blue might look good on you. And so the next time they send a photo, you know, they're wearing a blue shirt, um, you know, and it just, it, it progresses sometimes more quickly. Um, but, you know, again, they will also sometimes say to them, oh, have you ever thought about doing this? And again, the child will look it up because they might not know what this is. Uh, and then it's, depending on the age of the child, this seems exciting. It's forbidden. You know, mom and dad haven't told me about that. And, you know, it kind of happens before you know it, that all of a sudden, you know, here's this person on the other end. They think it's also a teenager. They're the same age. And, you know, we're in a relationship. And then even if they figure out it's an adult, you know, the, the grooming has you know, happened and kind of taken root and they feel, sometimes they feel comfortable in that relationship, but at some point it usually crosses a line and then they feel threatened in that relationship. And that's when it gets uncomfortable. And generally that's when hopefully they go to an adult. To somebody, yeah. And a teacher, somebody, if you're afraid to talk to your parents. And the phone number for the FBI is 1-800-CALL-FBI. It couldn't be any more simple. And if you want to be an FBI agent, what do you have to go through, Kevin? You got to go through hell. No, I'm just Yeah, kidding. I know. <laughs> the pepper um, spray is the worst part. Everything. Yeah, well, this, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, Mary can answer that better because she, uh, she actually been through Quantico and done the whole thing. And uh, I will say that it's an intensive, uh, it's an intensive training it's intensive to get even get into the fbi with the amount of uh, interviews you have to do and certain 
psychological tests you have to take. And, you know, you know, I'll let Mary answer that. I mean, uh, I, my, my, I ask all the agents, because I'm fascinated by this. I'm like, what, when did you decide you wanted to be an FBI agent? And you get a million different answers yeah. of why people did it. So, Mary, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. Why did you, you want know, to become an FBI agent? It's, you know, it's funny. I blame my friend, Brooke. Uh, we went to Notre Dame together. And it was her lifelong dream to become an FBI agent. And so, you know, we graduated in the 90s, and there was a hiring freeze on. So, you know, I guess I like to tell people I got on with my life. And then fast forward to 2005, and I was actually being interviewed because uh, one of I worked at a bank. One of my tellers had applied to the FBI, so I was being interviewed for his background. And... I went home that night and applied using my dial-up modem and found myself at Quantico a year later. And when I talk to people who are interested in becoming FBI agents, you know, they're always asking, what should I study? What should I do? And I tell them, you know, study what you know and what you enjoy. Yes. Because the FBI hires people from every background. You know, there's history teachers, police officers, military personnel, scientists, um, PAO, you know, engineers. Now I, yeah. I've worked with an age. I thought an agent was a lifetime agent. Come to find out that before we got the FBI, he was, uh, he worked for, um, the Chrysler corporation as an engineer and was on the design team for the Dodge challenger. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, like, so uh, I actually, I do phase two interviews. So there is a process to get in. You know, the first is called phase one. It's a test. Then there is a fitness test that you have to pass. And then phase two is the interview. And one of the best uh, phase two interviews I did, it was a gentleman who actually worked for David's Bridal. And you're thinking, how can somebody, you know, who works for David's Bridal, like 30 seconds competitive, but you know, his answers just blew us away. Well, I appreciate, appreciate both of you coming on the show and, and shedding a light on this extortion thing and I hope we help our listeners understand what it is where it's happening and help them take care of their kids take care of your neighbors and until next week shop local stay safe thanks again for coming thanks, on Jerry. thank you thank you bye bye